This week we visit one of the most haunted places in the whole of the United States of America, the Queen Mary ship at Long Beach, California. Hello, I'm Gary Bembridge and this is My Travel Reviews, the podcast of first-hand travel experience for people with a passion for travel. Reviews, advice and tips based on the two to three weeks a month I travel all over the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. As I record this podcast, it's actually Halloween time at the end of October. And as I'd received an email newsletter reminding me that one, if not the most haunted places in the United States was celebrating, and I'm not sure celebrating is the right word, but anyway, it was celebrating Halloween. I felt I just had to feature it in this week's My Travel Reviews with Gary Bembridge. So this week we are going to take a look at one of the most haunted venues in the USA, the Queen Mary ship at Long Beach in California. So on the podcast this week we're going to do five things, a very, very brief history of why the Queen Mary ship is actually in Long Beach, the Queen Mary attraction, what there is to do there and some tips, the Ghosts and Legends tour on board and where exactly the ship is haunted if you decide to go and visit it, the Halloween fest that's held each year on the ship, which is now in its 20th year. And then finally, as usual, I'm going to recommend a travel podcast, WDW Podcast, that I take a listen to and think is really great. So that's what we're going to do on the podcast this week. You can find links at my website, which I've just revamped, and the website is mytravelreviews.com. That's all written as one word. That's mytravelreviews.com. And on the site, you'll find how to subscribe to the podcast, you'll find a whole lot of links, you'll find great podcast sites, other travel podcasts, and what I've got now is quite a large photo gallery of photo galleries of lots of places that I've been to, and very importantly, my hotel room video clips, where you can see clips of various places that are referred to. Plus, of course, um, a list of all the podcasts, how you can listen to them, and links to the show notes. And the show notes are quite detailed this week, and as I said, you can find them via the link on my travel reviews Being in Los Angeles, California for work a few months back, I could not miss the opportunity to head down to Long Beach and visit the famous ship, the Queen Mary, which is berthed there and operates as part hotel and part museum. The Queen Mary itself is located at at, uh, 1126 Queens Highway in Long Beach, California. And basically you take the freeway, the 405, the 91, the 105, to the 710 South, and the Queen Mary is located at the very end of the 710 freeway in Long Beach. It's pretty easy to find because you see it from quite a distance anyway. Now, the ship has been sitting there at that same berth for significantly longer than it was actually in service. The ship arrived there in 1967, and it's been there for coming up to a staggering 40 years. Long Beach authorities paid a few million dollars, I think it was about three million dollars for the ship, but very soon afterwards regretted it as the cost to refurbish it as an attraction spiraled into something like a hundred million dollars or more. Now I'd visited the ship years ago, but with a recently newfound passion and interest in cruise liners and Cunard specifically, I really wanted to visit the ship again. And I'm very glad I did, as it was even more interesting, having now read more, seen more videos about the Queen Mary history. And I would encourage you to try and do that before you visit the ship. Although they do have some very good and concise exhibition areas and videos covering its history, 
But in my view, they don't really capture some of the glamour and the varied life the ship led while in service from the mid-1930s through the Second World War into the glory days of transatlantic liner travel through to the 1950s and then the rapid decimation and pretty much destruction of the transatlantic service by jetliners in the early 1960s, which led to both the Queen Mary and her sister ship, the Queen Elizabeth, being sold up after, (laughs) in fact, there was often more staff than passengers on that transatlantic crossing. Now, the ship itself is very large, and you can see photographs of it, as I mentioned earlier, through links on uh, mytravelreviews.com. Although, interestingly, it didn't look as large as I remembered the ship, although once I was on it and wandering around it, and at one stage very last, it did remind me just how big this ship is. Now, the thing that struck me, reading the material posted around the ship about its history since it arrived at Long Beach in the mid-60s, was the very, very patchy history of ownership and mixed success of the ship as a museum and hotel. And in fact, it sounded like it has not really been that successful, and it's come close to being scrapped. Although, now that it's been declared a heritage site, or whatever the equivalent is in in the US, it is protected in in some kind. Now, even Disney operated the hotel and and attraction at one time. Now, Disney actually took the lease on it as part of a clever, if, if, if maybe slightly naughty, attempt to play off Long Beach and Anaheim as the venue for a new Disney attraction many, many years ago. And they walked away from the Queen Mary and the area around it after deciding on on Anaheim. Now, due to the patchy ownership history, you won't be surprised to hear, although I personally was very disappointed, that a few months after my visit, the story broke about how this venture is basically bankrupt. And it's in kind of bankruptcy protection at the moment due to massive back rent owned owed by the current owner and operators to the Long Beach authorities. And in fact, that's the story is currently very uh, alive, and there's been various reports about the negotiations that are still going on at, as I record this podcast. Now, as you approach and go onto the ship, you do get the distinct feeling that it is in a kind of maintained neglect. And new initiatives like the Ghost Tour, which I'll talk about a bit later, are being used to try and drum up new interest and reasons to get the fans to visit visit again. But you do get a slight sense it is in kind of neglect, but it still is an amazing thing to visit. So what exactly is there to do there and some tips about what to see? Now the day I visited was a Monday and it was very, very quiet indeed. And initially I thought this was great as I had the ship more or less to myself. Last time I visited, which was on the weekend, it was kind of busy. But it became increasingly spooky, wandering around the corridors and beneath the deck areas of the ship and the long, gloomy corridors with absolutely nobody around. And I could see as I went around the ship by myself why so many ghost stories have emerged. And I actually found myself scuttling around some parts of the ship because it just started feeling a little bit creepy. So if you're into that thing, visit on something like a Monday. It's really quite spooky. Now on board... The the public, the general public, in other words, those not staying in the hotel part of the ship, you get to go around the upper decks of the ship and see things like the bridge. And the bridge itself is quite something. It's got these amazing brass controls, and it's visually just quite stunning. And take a look at the photographs on on the show note link and and all on the photo galleries on the right-hand side of of the website, mytravelreviews.com. It is just a stunning bridge. It is just quite amazing. But you also get to see the captain and his immediate senior officer's cabins, which were were near the bridge. And these are really interesting because they have the furniture, they have the fixtures, and they have the uniforms that are on display. 
And it's claimed as pretty much as, as the, the, they were when the ship was in service. And that's really interesting to see. But even more interesting in that area is to see where and how the ship was adapted for service in World War II and how they managed to cram at, at sometimes anything between 10,000 and 16,000 men on board the ship. And I think today the Queen Mary still holds a record for having the most people on board, which is something about 16,000 people. And if you see the photographs of it, it's just these people crammed on. But you see how they actually managed to configure accommodation in a way to achieve that. And it certainly was, was very crammed and, and I guess what estate agents or other people would call cosy. Now, one of the best sections on the tour is the treasures of the, of the Queen Mary section. Now, this recreates all of the different cabin types. Now, this part of the attraction is very hard to find. It is very badly signposted, and I almost missed it altogether, even though I asked a few times how to get to that part of the ship. It's really hard to find. Now, last time I visited the ship, I actually had no idea that this part of the exhibition even existed. So what you need to do is to make sure that you don't miss this part of the ship. It really is well worth a visit, as you get to see replicas of each of the different classes of of, of cabins, the large diversity, um, and, and, and the old uh, dining rooms, and all that kind of stuff. is very, very interesting. Now, I've taken quite a few photographs of that section as well, and you can see that um, if via the show notes, or actually on the Queen Mary Gallery, photo gallery, and you'll find links to that on the site. But what else is there to do on and around the ship? Quite a lot, actually. And I'm going to tell you about four things. I'm going to tell you very briefly about eating and drinking venues, which is surprisingly quite a few. I'm going to tell you about a new exhibition which opens in the middle of November and runs through to February 2006, which is a Malloran Monroe exhibition, which is having its kind of world premiere there before it goes on a, on a global tour. I'm going to tell you about the Ghosts and Legends tour, which is, which is quite fun. And I'm also going to tell you about the Russian submarine anchored just next to the Queen Mary, which you can also visit. Now, I'm not going to talk in detail about staying at the Queen Mary as a hotel, partly because I didn't stay there, so I can't really comment. But other than to say there are over 200 rooms that are in the old better-class cabins, you can find out rates and how to stay by the official website, which is queenmary.com. And they have various packages, to, you know, based on whether you're honeymooners, whether you're weekenders, whether you're ship buffs, whatever it is. And you can find all of those on the on the website, queenmary.com. So let's talk a little bit about eating and dining. Now, there's a very wide range of places to eat across all levels and prices. And some of them are claimed to be some of the, the kind of the best places to eat in, in the area. Um, so Winston's is one of the best known. So Winston was um, a re- relatively frequent traveler. And this is actually this restaurant's won an award in 2004-2005 of the Golden Scepter Award, which I'm not familiar with, but I guess is important. And they have kind of seafood specialities, and they have great views. It's right at the top of the ship, and, and it's really good. And you need to re- make reservations if you go there. The other quite smart place is, is kind of a champagne bar, which again also won an, an award. And they they they. they Villas is its most elegant restaurant, and it has kind of continental and California cuisine, and again, reservations are, are very much needed for that. There's a relatively new place called Tibby's, where you actually get um, great cuisine, and then they have a show. Now, I didn't get to see the show, but they call it a Broadway cabaret-style show, and they do a review called Those Fabulous Forties, which they bill as a fun-filled, nostalgic journey back to that grand area of big band music, boogie-woogie dancing and romantic 
love songs. And again, they talk about having reservations. But it does sound quite a lot of fun. They had photographs and stuff about that. Then there's some more informal places like the Chelsea, which um, which is more in the hotel thing, which has light salad, sandwiches, that kind of stuff. And they have the Promenade Cafe, which is um, an Art Deco lounge, which is very nice. And again, that's relatively informal with, with quite nice views. And then the Observation Bar is kind of linked to the Art Deco lounge, which has lots of, you know, like a buffet and they have a big brunch on Sunday and that kind of stuff. So as you can see, quite a lot of places to eat, which you can either go just if you're into the hotel part, uh, if you're not on actually the, the tour. Now let's talk a little bit about the Marilyn Monroe exhibition. And again, you can find a link to that on the show notes. But from November the 11th, 2005 until February the 18th, 2006, the Queen Mary is going to be the first stop on a world tour of Marilyn Monroe, the, ex- the exhibit. And it actually claims to feature the largest personal collection of Marilyn Monroe artifacts and personal belongings in the world. And you can basically get a sense of of her life and um, everything about her. And they also, this exhibition has been brought together by by three organizations. The actual state of Marilyn Marilyn Monroe, um, a a thing called Marilyn Monroe Exhibits, which which Mr. Bob Otto is the chairman and CEO, and he has a huge personal collection, and a company called CMG Worldwide, who I'm, I'm not really familiar with. But what they're trying to do is, is they're trying to tell the story of Marilyn Monroe um, and cover you know, her as a movie star, as a pop star, which I didn't know she was, a celebrity and, and kind of an icon. And they just cover huge amounts of stuff. And there's lots and lots of events, and it's worth checking on the Queen Mary site for all the events that are kind of linked to that. But it does sound like an amazing um, exhibition. The other thing you can do is the Ghosts and Legends tour, and you can read more about that on the website. They have a specific website called ghostsandlegends.com, but you can also get it via the Queen Mary site. Now, many people, including psychics and people in the know, believe that the Queen Mary is a very, very haunted place. And they argue that the ship itself lives up to the name the Grey Ghost. Now, the ship was nicknamed the Grey Ghost during the Second World War when she was painted in all this camouflage paint which meant she was kind of a very ghostly-looking apparition churning through the seas. Now, the Ghosts and Legends show, it's, it's a daily thing, and it has all special effects, and it's a walkthrough show um, created aboard the ship that kind of dramatizes actual um, paranormal events, which are supposedly uh, have happened, and kind of historic events that various people have reported over the years. And the setup is that you, you're not supposed to be sure whether some of the effects are created or whether it's real ghost activity and it's quite big the tour is spread over about twenty-five thousand square foot and you see locations that you don't see in in the other tours now there's there's six main areas that are supposedly haunted on the ship the first of these is the first class swimming pool. Now, this pool has been had been closed for most of um, the time that the, the ship had been there. But images of women in, in period swimming gear and wet footprints appearing have been reported. Now, no one's ever supposedly drowned in this pool, so I'm not quite sure why the ghosts hang out there. But scarily, psychics claim that the pool area on the Queen Mary is the vortex that allows spirits to enter and leave the ship. So it really does give you the chills, and it's quite quite a a, a spooky place. The second most haunted area on the ship is the engine room and near door 13. In 1996, an 18-year-old engineer was crushed in one of the watertight doors, door number 13. And many people have reported a blue overall young man walking down the corridor and disappearing at at, at this door number 13. 
The third most haunted area is the Queen's Salon, which was the old first-class dining room. Now, Woman in White has, has been seen by many people dancing in the shadows, and the spooky story they tell you about is that a young girl on one of these tours kept pointing out and claiming she could see this woman where nobody else could. The fourth most haunted area is in the first-class suites. Now, what's interesting, have you noticed a bit of a theme? It seems that first-class spirits are, are more persistent haunters than, than anybody else because first-class area seems to have the most ghosts, but I don't know what that means. Now, people staying claim that they hear ringing telephones, heavy breathing, covers being pulled off, and that kind of stuff, which I'm not sure is a good selling point for staying in the hotel. And a photographer who took a photograph of one of the, uh, one of the suites claims that they saw an image of a man in one of the mirrors dressed in the 1930 clothes, even though there was no man with him at the time that they took this picture. So that's quite spooky. The fifth is the third-class nursery. So we get our sort of different class of ghost here. Now, Baby, whose name I forget, had died not long after birth, and crying is often reported from the area the nursery used to be. The last area, which is supposed to be very haunted, is the hull the ship. Now in a very awful accident in the Second World War when the Queen Mary was kind of zigzagging to avoid being destroyed by the German Navy submarines actually um, avoiding the submarines the ship actually spliced through a Royal Navy escort ship called the HMS Caracchio C-U-R-A-C-A-O and they killed 300 men on that ship now a TV crew a while ago left recording equipment on overnight a few years back near where the Queen Mary had collided with the HMS Caracchio. And when they played it back the next day, they, they heard lots of pounding uh, going on in this area. And other people have reported very horrible screams from the area that the ships collided. And so if you go on the Ghosts and Legends tour, you, you go through all these areas and you hear the stories, and it, it's, it's kind of quite, quite fun. And as I said, the ship itself is already quite spooky. Now, building on this whole sense of a ghostliness and spookiness. The the annual Queen Mary's Halloween Terror Fest is quite a big thing, and you can read more about that at uh, queenmaryshipwreck.com. And again, I said there's links on the show notes, which you can get via mytravelreviews.com. And also what I've done is I've given you a link to the 2000 event, which is queenmaryshipwreck.com slash shipwreck2005 html. Now, this is actually the 20th year that the Queen Mary Halloween Terror Fest has been going. So it's quite a big thing. And it runs kind of towards the middle to end of, of October over Halloween period. Now, I'll just tell you what the site says, because that's probably the best way of explaining it to you. The site says, Every October, the Queen Mary in Long Beach transforms into the most terrifying place on Earth for shipwreck, the Queen Mary's Halloween Terror Fest. Each year, Shipwreck unveils a new creation that delivers ultimate horror to the daring mortals that brave this terrifying event. Admission includes unlimited entry to all the mazes. They have these mazes that you go through, which looking at the photographs on the site look a little bit tacky, but I guess when you're on the ship and whatnot, it's quite scary. They have the Boiler Room Club featuring live bands. Then they have a huge three-level dance party in the Queen Mary's Exhibit Hall, which is the area that when you first come on the ship you enter. Plus you can also visit the what they call the sexy fright mistress who people um, apply to be and she has a little private lair so the site says everyone knows the queen mary is haunted and is no stranger to haunted happenings throughout the years queen mary employees guests and visiting psychics have reported unexplainable events and paranormal activity aboard the ship Visitors to shipwreck will have the opportunity to encounter these areas as they descend deep into the bowels of the ship and navigate the closed corridors and dark hallways of this massive haunted vessel.
So, it sounds a lot of fun, the annual Queen Mary's Halloween Terror Fest. Run from the middle of October to the end of October. So you've kind of missed it unless you're hearing this podcast and have a chance to just do it in the next couple of days. But have a look at the site, and it does sound you know, quite a lot of fun, and, and it's quite a big event. There's lots of photographs on the site, so you get a good sense of it. But it's also good in terms of building that whole story. And actually, this year, some of the cable channels um, ran some of their most haunted kind of programs from, from the ship to build on, on that whole thing. So let me tell you one more thing to when you're down there at the Queen Mary, the most haunted place in the USA. One more thing you can do, which is not really related to haunting, but it's actually very interesting, and it's the Russian submarine Scorpion. And you can find more about that at Russian sub... I always get this wrong. RussianSubLongBeach.com RussianSubLongBeach.com And there's a link on, on the show notes. Now, more, this is more next to the Queen Mary, is this Russian submarine. It looks a little bit shabby. But it's very interesting. Now, the Scorpion Theater exhibit gift shop areas can be visited by everyone. So you don't need to pay to go in. And you can see views of, of the submarine from the wharf. And you can get some quite good pictures. And there's some pictures on, on, on my gallery. But the really interesting part is if you clamber inside. But you do need to be quite agile. It's very cramped. And you need to be fine and happy moving about in enclosed spaces. So there's no things like wheelchair access. You need to be pretty nimble um, because it's very cramped and, and, and quite difficult to move around in. Now, on the submarine, you'll learn and actually see that 78 crew were on board the ship. They shared two showers and three toilets for up to three months at sea. Only officers had their own bunks. Now, the ordinary sailors hot bunked, but like hot desking, if you like. 27 bunks in the aft torpedo room were shared by 54 crew. And the only way they did that is they wouldn't bunk up together. They had a three-shift system going. So you were on duty, maintenance, and sleep. And that's how they managed it. So there was these 27 bunks shared by 54 crew. But they only had two showers and three toilets. So it's pretty grim, I think. Now, the sub, if you're into that kind of stuff, is a Foxtrot class, which was the largest conventional. By that, I mean it's not a nuclear submarine. So it was diesel and electric. And it was a Soviet sub, as I've already said. And, and its role was to search for and track enemy forces during the Cold War. And, and they, this particular sub was in the Pacific Ocean, mostly. 79 of these subs were built between 1958 and 1984. Not only for the Soviet Navy, but also for places like India, Libya, Cuba, Poland. And it was diesel-powered, but it carried nuclear-tipped submarines. And these were pretty hefty submarine, uh, missiles that could destroy a whole port. Did I just say it carried nuclear-tipped submarines? carried nuclear-tipped missiles that could destroy a whole port or, or, or like a whole convoy ship. So, so pretty hefty uh, missiles. Now, it was driven by diesel engines, of which there were three, and um, they, that drove electric motors to drive three propellers. But, and, and you could only do that at periscope depth because you had a, the diesel engines had to have air. So at periscope depth, it, it could use diesel, but, but when it went below that, it had these big batteries... So it basically was electric. Now, I have no idea how men cope being in that sub for three months of time. After you've been there just a short while going around, it's enough. But it, it is really worth a visit. It's, it's very, very interesting, even if it is a little bit shabby. So that's what I'm going to tell you about the Queen Mary before I wrap up and tell you about a, a, a podcast um, that I think is worth listening to. So I've given a little brief history of why the Queen Mary is there. I've told you a little bit about what you can do. Spoken about the Ghosts and Legends tour. Spoken about the Halloween Fest. And the you know the, the Marilyn Monroe exhibition that's coming up that that really sounds like it'll be amazing. So I'm just going to finish off today with a my travel review podcast recommendation.
Now, each week I mention another travel podcast that I'm listening to. And this week, I wanted to mention the WDW Today podcast. Walt Disney World Today is what WDW stands for. The podcast comes out quite a lot. It comes out on Monday and Friday, and it covers Walt Disney World. There's three guys who are the hosts of the podcast, and these are real Disney buffs. They run various sites like mgmstudios.org, mouseplanet.com, and one is the author of The Unofficial Guide to Walt Disney World. They spend a lot of time answering questions that the people have sent in to them by email. And so what you do is you get really good advice and very good tips on how to make the most out of the parks. And and I found really great things like... um, they do things like what order to do things in so you miss the crowds, the things to see in what order. And they also tell you, which is quite interesting, on one of the podcasts I was just listening to, they tell you about hidden features and little gags in the park, which are kind of in-jokes, if you like, but um, where to find them, and that's pretty interesting. They seem to be very good at getting back to you if you write it, and I even got a very long and quite detailed review and suggestions on how to prove my podcast in addition to some other bits and pieces that I'd sent in. So that was very helpful. So to find out more and visit the podcast site at uh, wdwtoday.com. And as I said, you will find links to that. And there are other sites, mgmstudios.org and mouseplanet.com on my show notes, which are at mytravelreviews.com. So that's all I've got time for on the podcast today. I hope you've enjoyed it. This is Gary Bembridge. This is My Travel Reviews with Gary Bembridge, the podcast of first-hand travel experience for people with a passion for travel. Thanks if you subscribe to the podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, you can find out more at mytravelreviews.com.